Good morning. If you do not know who I am, if you're new here today, uh, my name is Pastor Matt. I'm associate pastor here uh, over discipleship and youth. I'm excited here to, uh, to be able to talk to you from uh, the book of Hebrews chapter 11. If you do not have your Bibles with you, we do have some on the back tables there. They're in blue. I do not have the page number for you today, but uh, you will find it in the back half. Hebrews is after all the New Testament books that start with the letter T. So Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus, then you'll find uh, eventually Hebrews. Chapter 11, uh, Pastor Tim uh, led us last week in what is commonly called the Hall of Faith. It really is a part of the book of Hebrews that reads like a sermon, as though it's just being spoken. It's very powerful. It actually reminds me uh, of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, back in Acts chapter 7. I'll reference him later. It reminds me of the sermon he gave where he's walking through the history of Israel, the history of God's people, and demonstrating their great faith. Demonstrating times when they were examples uh, of, of great belief and trust in the Lord and the things that that accomplished. And the whole point of this section is uh, the author of Hebrews is trying to stir us to have faith like theirs. And so I actually wanted to do something really quick uh, this, this morning. Uh, I'm curious if, if any of you be willing just to shout out some of who are your f- heroes in the faith? Who are some people in, or that could be in your life? like directly like in your lifetime, they affect you personally, or they could even just be people from history. But just raise your hand or shout it out. I'd be curious to hear who are some of the heroes in your faith. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. I owe you something. <laughs> Corey Ten Boom. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, yeah. Yeah. Mueller, uh, yeah, Mueller. George Mueller, yeah. Who's that? Ehud. Ehud. Okay, from the judge. Gotcha. Keith Lippy. My grandmother Helen Dance. Helen Dance. Yeah. Pastor Tim. Pastor Tim. Cool. I'm sure, if we went through, you could think about all the people in your life. You know, who, who, who stirred you, who you looked to their example of faith, they taught you by their words, their conduct, by their faith, what it means to be a Christian. But there's also people, I'm sure, in, in history, sermons that you've listened to, books that you've read, you know, that, uh, that have impacted you. I think about my own life, but I also think like the, the people who I'm, I've read, my fathers in the faith who I've never met until glory, people like Augustine, Athanasius, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Owen, John Bunyan, a lot of Johns in church history. Okay, Charles Spurgeon, J.C. Ryle, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Leonard Ravenhill. I think of my parents. I think of a, a saint from my old church named Rex Angel. I think of my youth pastor growing up. I think about different, different people who have impacted me, whose example of faith stirred me. And we all have our own people like that, right? Our own authors that we read, our own family members. But one of the things that's great about Scripture right here in chapter 11 of Hebrews, is that we all have this same heritage, this, this, this same family tree of faith that we can draw from. And so we're going to continue, uh, actually I'm going to read from, starting in verse 17 today, and I'm going to read through the rest of the chapter and work from there as, as, as the Spirit gives us some examples of faith. Verse 17 continues picking up, uh, talking about Abraham. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith The people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do so, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. They were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so they might again rise to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and the caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. This is the Word of God. We begin today taking a look at the testimony of Abraham's faith. And we talked a little bit about his, uh, his, the things that he went through, uh, his tests of faith, particularly in having this child of promise, this covenant that God had given Abraham, that he would make him a great nation, that he, the kings would come from, come, him, come from him, that he would have land and, and all of these promises. And yet he had no children, even in old age, and yet he had faith. And we pick up in verse 17 where something really <laughs> trying happens. We learn in Ab- with, through Abraham's testimony that faith thrives in the midst of trial. Abraham's faith was tried in a terrible way because I want you to listen to God's command in Genesis 22. In 22 verse 2. And everything that God commands Abraham to do is very, very difficult. Every single bit of this is a trial. He says, I want you to take your son your only son, Isaac, whom you love, 
and go the land of Moriah, which is three days away, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Like, there are so many questions that Abraham would have had when God appeared to him right, and, and, and told him to do this. Matthew Henry points out that in every single word here, there's a trial, there's a test of faith. There's no explanation from God. There's, there's no reason given. But yet, look at Abraham's response. The very next verse says, And so Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. He arose and he went to the place which God had told him. There's no record of Abraham complaining. There's no, there's no asking for explanation. There's no asking for additional signs. God, did I, did I hear you right? He doesn't say, maybe I met, could you confirm? He doesn't do the thing, uh, you know, where he's like, well, tell you what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay this fleece out, and if it's dry outside, if it's wet the next day, you know, you know we, we hear about that in the, in the judges when Gideon does that. There's no rebellion. There's no, I'm not doing that. Are you nuts? There's no refusal to obey. He saddled his donkey. He got the wood, and he set out with his only son, whom he loved. I want you to think about this, though. Do you think Abraham wanted to sacrifice his son? After 10 years of waiting and frustrated and futile attempts to like fulfill God's prophecy on his own terms, finally God had given him the son of promise. God had answered his word. He had answered Abraham's prayers. And now Abraham would finally receive him and Isaac was his pride and joy, his only son from Sarah. He was, he was growing this, this boy and he was his delight. He was the apple of his eye. And things were finally starting to settle into place with Abraham and his family. Things were settling down. Right? He was beginning to enjoy the promise and the blessings of God. And now God called Abraham to turn everything upside down. Do you think Abraham was excited about this turn of events? Of course not. Because faith is more than just simple belief in God. Faith is trusting God. That's what Abraham demonstrates here. That, that, that everything that he'd experienced up to this point in his life said, you know what? God sometimes says things that, that sound just crazy, that seem like there's no way. There's no way this is going to work out. But you know, <laughs> Isaac, see, God's been good to his word. Is God going to go back on his word? Abraham didn't have all the facts. He didn't know why God asked this. He didn't even have direction of where he was going. This is the second time in his life where, Ab- where God said to Abraham, hey, go somewhere, I'll tell you, to, I'll tell you where to go when you get there. <laughs> okay? He doesn't even give him that. He... And yet Abraham obeyed, not because what God asked him to do was easy, nor was it even agreeable to him. He could not see the logic in it. At the end of the day, he was able to obey. He had faith because he just trusted that God knew what he was doing. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God has a plan? Because there be times in your life where you sense that God is going to ask you to do something really challenging, really difficult, really odd maybe. He's going to bring trials into your life that you did not ask for, that make no sense to you, that you think are only going to make life harder, more miserable, that you can't see God's hand in it. And yet here it is, when God throws a wrench into your plans, when he upsets the comfort or the rhythm of your life, do you trust that God knows what he's doing? 
that he has your best interest at heart, that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, which is you, Christian. When's the last time God made a mistake? When's the last time that God acted rashly or unwisely or foolishly or unkindly to you? When has he left you without mercy or, or failed to supply your needs? Abraham said, well, God has, has done some crazy things in my life, but he's always been faithful in the end. So why should I doubt him now? You know, God doesn't need to explain himself to us. He's God and we're not. He can command the seas to be calm or he can command the seas to be raging. But he's God. He gets to do that. But we know that God's not capricious, that he does things for a good and wise reason, and that all of his best blessings, all of his best plans are for his people. God doesn't often explain to us why he's doing things. And, and, and here's the other thing. Jesus, if you remember this, Jesus doesn't call you to follow a carefully uh, laid out plan. He doesn't say, I have a plan for you. Let me give you this nice outline. Here's the five-year, um, the point, the, the, here's the outline of the goals. Here's the timeline with the costs and the deadlines. You know, and, and he doesn't give that to us, right? He doesn't hand us a five-year plan for personal improvement and growth and say, now this is when it's going to happen. You know, he doesn't give you any of that. He doesn't say, follow this plan. He says, follow me. And you're like, okay, well, well, Jesus, where are you going? No, no, no. Follow me. Do you trust that I know, that I know where I'm going? And honestly, you know where the end is. He tells you, I will take you to glory. I will take you to the Father's side. I will take you to paradise. The promised land awaits, but you do not know where the route is that you're going to get there. The hills and the valleys, the traps and the dangers, the seasons of rest and of heavy labor, the lonely dark paths and the joyful roads of peace. Guess what? God does not like give you like a table of contents and say this, a map. This is what it is. He doesn't say follow this. He says follow me and I will get you there one way or another. And so what will you do? The author of Hebrews says, be like Adam, uh, be like Abraham, saddle up and go. And if you need additional uh, encouragement, um, there's a little book called, the, the, well, it's not little, it's big, but The Little Pilgrim's Progress. For those of you who don't want to read uh, 1600s English um, from John Bunyan, this is uh, a version that was made for children and has awesome illustrations. Actually, all the characters in this are animals, and bunnies, and, uh, and it's one of those things where I'm going to say this. Get this so you can read to your kids or grandkids if you have them, but let's be honest, you're probably going to gain a whole lot more than they do. It's the story of, of how Christian makes his way to the celestial city and all the dangers and battles and traps and people along the way. But you can, you, you can tell everyone you bought it for your kids, but it's okay if you read it for you. Abraham was willing to sacrifice his own son, his own son that he received by promise, right? Because he believed that God was good to his word. And, and, and this is the interesting part. Consider this. He'd already received the promised son, so Abraham had to reason, but as the author of Hebrews is telling us, he had to reason that God had already, he's good to his word, and there's, he was not going to go back on it. Could you imagine if God just changed his mind on things? 
Imagine if God removed the rainbows that he still puts in the sky to this day to tell us that he's not going to destroy the world by flood again. Imagine if that just disappeared. Imagine if God chose that he's no longer going to hear our prayers. He just, he's not going to answer from heaven. Imagine if Christ stopped interceding for the saints as our high priest. Imagine if God chose to remove his Holy Spirit from believers. Imagine if God chose to remove your name from the book of life and counted your sins against you once again. Everything I just said, you're like, Matt, that's ridiculous. Of course it is, because we know that God's not going to do that. God's going to keep his word. If he says he's going to do it, he's going to do it. And so Abraham reasoned. He said, God promised me a son. He promised me this son, Isaac. And now he's telling me to sacrifice him, which I don't understand. But I know that God is going to keep his promise regardless. And so I love what Hebrews said. He says, Abraham must have thought in his mind, maybe he's going to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice him, and then God will bring him back from the dead. That is how much Abraham trusted that God would answer his promise, that no matter how this turns out, the Lord will keep his promise, even if that meant bringing his son back from the dead. And why could Abraham do this? Not because he wanted to do that, because he wanted, I just trust God. God knows what he's doing. He's God. He, he, He gives and takes away, but he keeps his word, and that I know. Faith is not something we generate out of nothing. It's not just something that you just say, well, I'm going to gin up this belief in God. No, it's based on trust. It comes from a place, a careful consideration of, is God trustworthy? And if he is, then you can trust him through anything. If so, you can be as bold and have a faith as great as Abraham, who so believed in God's specific promise to him, that he would not revoke it. And so faith can actually thrive in the trial. When, when things come upon you that are not comfortable, that are not expected, that are not pleasing to you, that you would never have written for yourself, that is actually when your faith can be the strongest, when God's works are never more clear, when his mercies are never sweeter, when his presence is never closer. So don't fear the fiery trial. Don't fear the hard days, the dark valleys. Sometimes that's when you are closest to God. When faith is strongest and worth the most. Move on to, uh, to other examples of faith in Isaac and Jacob and Joseph in, in verses 20 through 22. We learn that by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on his children, Jacob and Esau. And that his son Jacob, when dying, he blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. And his son Joseph by faith at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. These men are commended because they passed the hope of the promises of God down to others, down to their own children, as the fulfillment did not happen in their lifetimes. All all three of these are, are, are giving, they're passing the faith on. They believe that this promise that God had made to their father Abraham, that they would be God's people, that they would become a great nation, that they would have a land, that they would be a blessing, that kings would come from them. All of this, they believed, but it did not happen in their lifetime, so they kept passing it on to their sons. Hey, trust God. Hey, trust God. Believe in the promises. They kept passing it on to each successive generation. Listen to how Joseph puts it in Genesis chapter 50, kind of closing out the the book of Genesis. He, He says to his brothers, I am about to die. 
But God will visit you and will bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he wants to be there, but he knows he's going to die. So he says, hey, when I die, bring my bones with you, okay? And bring them into that land, which they do. Something to notice about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph is that there are several examples of faith in their life. Joseph in particular is just a really good story. Okay, he, 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 the story of his life, he has all these great works that he accomplishes. He goes from being this favored son you know, among Jacob's children and then he gets sold into slavery by his brothers, you remember that? And then he ends up in like an Egyptian prison, and then he like is able to interpret dreams, and he's able to you know, go up to become the second-hand man to Pharaoh, and save an entire generation of Israelites and Egyptians. That's some good stuff, that's good material, right, that you encourage people to faith, you know, to stir up them in faith. And yet I find it so interesting that the author of Hebrews doesn't lean on any of that as examples of faith. The author of Hebrews, by the Holy Spirit, focuses on the faith that these men had when they were elderly and on their deathbeds. All three of these men are examples of faith to follow because they understood the promises of God had not been fulfilled in their lifetime. That they did not lose heart or faith. They didn't act in frustration. They enjoyed their part in God's plan, but they knew there was still more that God was going to do. That God could make Abraham's descendants a great people, a great nation, give them their own land in Canaan and be their God. And so these men passed the faith down to the succeeding generation so they too could hope in the promises. You see this also kind of in verse 23 as Moses' parents are mentioned when they they see Moses. And and I love the fact that, as I said, that they focus not on the earlier parts of their life, their great acts you know, of, 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 of faith in, their, in the prime of their life, but when they were old men on their deathbed, he says, that's an example of faith right there that you can follow. I think about, from my own, when I was growing up, you know a name that came to mind is Chuck and Carol. And Lachelle, you might have to help me, but remember from our church growing up when we were in youth group, was it Smith? I can't even remember their last name. I just remember Chuck and Carol, this elderly couple, they were in uh, their, I think, mid-70s, who served in the youth ministry, right? Like, they would go to things like a (laughs) lock-in. They would go to, they they taught Sunday school. You know, Chuck was, you know, he would teach the middle school boys and somehow try to finagle them all together. I remember every now and then Carol would fall asleep on Sunday school, okay? (laughs) Oh, such a, even when I was in high school, just a sweet, beloved couple that in in their older age, they didn't just say, well, I've, I've done my time. He said, I want to pass this faith on to these young people. And they said, I, I just, God is so worth trusting, so worth giving your life to, that even at the end of my life, they're saying, we want to continue passing that on. And, and you don't know them right now. You, you've never met them. They're probably in glory right now. You'll know their names in glory. And their faith, you'll get to know them then, and their faith will follow them. And some, some of our older brothers and sisters in this congregation, I just want to encourage you to continue pressing on in faith. Great works, you know, you may have done great works in your life. Maybe you can look back at your life and say, yeah, I did this awesome thing. I went on this mission trip. I, I led this person to Christ. I prayed for this and God answered. You may be able to point back at things in your life in your earlier years, or you may not be able to, right? But even then, the things that we've done on earth oftentimes are our works. They may be forgotten by, by the world around us, the things that we do 
You know, people who, who served in church ministries, you know, years ago, oftentimes their, their works are, are kind of locked into the memory of the people who live on earth. But your faith throughout this life, and especially in your later years, is a heritage and a testimony that will follow you to glory and beyond. You may not be able to do as much as you would like at this age in life, as much as you used to be able to do, but this is no hindrance to your faith. This is no hindrance to your prayers. And it may even assist it. So I love the testimony of Abraham, of Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph in their older years. It was their faith that was still a testimony. It can still be an example. Let your faith be your testimony. We turn to Moses in verses 23 through 28. We learn that faith that fears God should fear nothing else, can conquer every other fear. And honestly, we, as we read this section, we could go over several examples of faith from Moses' life. He is um, a seminal figure in the Bible. There's a couple of them. Like Abraham is a big one. Moses is a big one. David is a big one. Okay, like there's just people who just command so much attention that there's not just like, you know, a chapter or a few verses, but like books that are dedicated to their exploits and what they have done. And he is certainly one of them. This whole section in Hebrews 11, it could really just be like the story of Moses, right? Commonly, there's Bible studies that talk about the life of David or the life of Moses. I think my wife used to be in Bible study fellowship, BSF, for those of you who know what that is, and, uh, and one of her favorites was the life of Moses, right? However, the, uh, Hebrews 11 just focuses on a few highlights. Talking about it, by faith, Moses identified himself with the people of Israel instead of the people of Egypt so he could set himself against Pharaoh. By faith, he left Egypt, and by faith, he kept the Passover. Being adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in the royal court, Moses had access to the best education, the best food, the best culture, the best clothing, all the pleasures of the age. He had access to it all. Yet he was an Israelite, and he could not ignore the enslavement of his own people uh, for very long. Actually, I take that back. He very well could have ignored it. And maybe, you know, he could have said, you know, I have it really comfy right here, you know, and I really feel bad for my people right there, but if I just don't say anything, I can, if I just kind of like ignore it, I can stay in this position of privilege, right? Or he could even, I think F.F. Bruce, a commentator said, he could have reasoned, you know what, I can do better for my people if I stay in this position. I might have some sway in the government. Maybe I can lighten their, their, uh, their load, or I can, I can fight for reforms that will make their enslavement bondage easier on them. He could have easily have argued that, and would anyone have blamed him? But he doesn't do that. When he's about 40 years old, according to Stephen in Acts 7, he, he, he sees... Uh, a soldier abusing an Israelite, and he struck and he killed that Egyptian, Egyptian soldier. And, and, and eventually this led to him you know, running out into his self-imposed exile. And actually this section where it talks about by faith he left Egypt, it's probably not talking about the Exodus later on. It's probably talking about this, when he left to go to 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, in Midian. So interestingly, when you read the story of the book of evidence, you could easily conclude that Moses just kind of acted out of like rash anger or, you know, or just, just thoughtlessness or just he's fed up. And, and 
you know, in a moment of passion. And, and maybe there's a little bit of that. And maybe you could read the idea that, he, that Moses, he fled in fear after being found out. And, you know, he's afraid that Pharaoh was going to kill him. And that's his main motivation for leaving Egypt. Actually, it even says in the text in, in Exodus, then Moses was afraid, saying, surely the thing is known. So is the author of, of Hebrews saying that Moses, you know, it seems like when he, he's saying here that, that Moses didn't act in fear of Pharaoh. But Exodus seems to say that he is. So which is it? Is, is Moses' history being whitewashed? I don't think so. Moses did certainly have a, a fear of Pharaoh, but it's like it's not this trembling, hopeless, withering fear, but it's the prudent fear that seeks to preserve one's own life. But the author wants us to understand that, it, that fear was not the only factor that drove his decision to identify with Israel and to flee from Egypt. That faith was a factor, and in this case, the main one. The author is in following the interpretation of Stephen from Acts 7, who says that when Moses acted, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Moses seemed, seemed to think that, that, that he was doing a good thing and that his brothers in, in Israel would recognize, hey, I'm here to help you. That God is sending me to, to he's calling me to be your deliverer in some sense. And so later on, when he sees two Israelites arguing, he, like, he expects them, them to understand this, and, then, and they say, what, what are you doing? Aren't you the one who killed the Egyptian? Moses didn't become this great leader of Israel all in one day. He stumbled along the way. He had his moments of foolishness, hot-headedness, impatience, weakness, yes, even fear. But it was his faith, ultimately, that made him great. That's the overarching narrative and story of his life. He had a vision for God, sometimes clearer than others, but he chased after the Lord rather than the riches and empty promises of Egypt. There's a final mention of, 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 of uh, Moses' exploits, and it talks about the Passover, that he kept the Passover and was leading the people in it as well. As, as a brief reminder, if you don't remember, there, uh, when God sent Moses to set uh, the people of Israel free from Egypt, he kept going into Pharaoh's court saying, let my people go. Pharaoh sometimes would be like, sure, and then he would change his mind because earthly kings change their mind, but the heavenly king does not. But there, and as a reminder, God knew and planned this would happen, so there are ten plagues against Egypt, each one designed to show the futility of these false Egyptian gods, a direct attack against them, designed to punish Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to release Israel and to demonstrate God's great power. To each one, Egypt was subjected, and to each one, Israel was spared. And after each one, Moses would say, are you going to let him go now? He would always refuse. And the final plague was the worst, the death of the firstborn. It would affect them all. But Israel was given a provision. Each household would take a lamb and kill it and spread the blood on the doorposts in the frame. And when the, uh, the avenging angel, when the angel of death God would send, would come and, to take the life of the firstborn, when he would see the blood on the doorframe, it would pass over that house and nothing would come to them. The, the life of the firstborn would not be taken. And no one, not even Pharaoh, in all his power, could stop the angel. Yet those who had faith and applied the blood lived. 
So many examples of faith from the life of Moses remain, but these three highlight the power of Moses' faith. Consider the fact that, that Moses feared the Lord more than any other, and this made him courageous and victorious against his greatest enemies. By his faith, Moses overcame the world. That is, the love and comfort and pleasures of the world. And he had plenty of them in Egypt. But he, like Abraham, had his heart set on a better country, a heavenly one, with his own people, the people of promise. He chose to identify himself with Israel so he could be part of those promises. He stood up against the mightiest nation in the known world at the time. And he didn't do it with great physical strength, right? He didn't come like Samson, like ripping the gates off and like throwing them. He didn't do any of that stuff, right? He wasn't a Marvel movie hero. In fact, he came hobbling in as an eight-year-old man leaning over his staff, having Aaron speak for him because he probably had a stutter or another speech impediment. It's his faith that overcame Egypt that overcame death itself as he and the rest of the Israelites applied the blood of the Lamb at Passover. What terrors are afflicting you? What things are you afraid of right now? Because there is plenty for Moses to be afraid of. What What are you scared of in the world right now? I don't think it's a sin necessarily to have a kind of fear. Sin, fear can become sinful. I think it's a sin when fear takes over and starts making the decisions in your life for you so that you stop trusting God. But fear looks kind of at the present circumstances and maybe even the immediate future and says, ooh, I don't like this. I don't, want, I don't want this. You know, what can I do to avoid the discomfort, the pain, the, the hardship? Oh, I don't, I don't like this. It scares me. That's what fear looks to the immediate circumstances and a little bit further. Faith just looks even farther than that. Faith recognizes that if you look further ahead, you believe that God has better. This world honestly is a dangerous place, Okay. It is a place that is stained by sin. As we just prayed about not too long ago, earthquakes happen. Natural disasters happen. Financial ruin happens. We go for a normal checkup to the doctor and find out that there's something really bad going on. This is a dangerous place for your health, your finances, your relationships. We are strangers and exiles in an unstable kingdom here on earth. Dangers abound. Yet we're on our way to a kingdom whose foundations are ancient And cannot be shaken. And so we're called to look ahead like Moses did, not to the pleasures or the pains of this world, but to look further ahead to the kingdom of God. And faith alone can get us there and conquer the kingdoms and the things that that we are afraid of here and now. We continue on to to the people of Israel and also to Rahab in verses 29 through 31. Here we have, it says, By faith the people of Israel crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they were attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith the people uh, of Israel, sorry, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had been given a friendly welcome to the spies. Of course, the people of Israel have to be mentioned, right? I mean, they're the, the nation of the Exodus. They have to you know, be mentioned in this Hebrews Hall of Faith. And we have two examples. One being, you know, the first being the Exodus. They crossed through the Red Sea. 
The second being that when, they, when the, the, the generation, the following generation that was in Canaan marched around Jericho seven times, blew trumpets at the command of the Lord, and the walls fell down outwards, and they were able to, uh, to take the city. The beginning, uh, the, the one marks, the, the, the Exodus marks the end of their bondage. The second marks the beginning of their conquest in, in taking the land. Both of them being fulfillments of the promise that God made to Abraham, his Abraham and his descendants. Rahab's story is, is interesting as well. You know, she's a prostitute living in Canaan in the city of Jericho at the time. Joshua is leading people into that land, and he says, we're going to spy it out, spy out the good land. He sends out two spies uh, into, into this city to, as they're preparing for an invasion. It, it turns out that they're, they're, they stay at Rahab's house, and the king of that city finds out they're there. It says, we've got to kill these guys. They send people there. Rahab hides them, eventually lets them out her window to go down so that she saves their life. With the promise, though, that you know, on, a, on account of her kindness and her faith, because she heard about the, the Lord, she heard about what happened in Egypt, she heard that they were coming now to her and you know, to their to their city, and they were going to take this land. And she said, "Well, I don't, I'm in the line of fire here. I'm going to I'm going to cast my lot with this people and with this Lord who seems very very powerful." And so the, the the spies say, "You know, on account of your kindness and faith, you know, put a scarlet cord in your window, and uh, and we will." Uh, your family will not come to harm. It's kind of neat. You see, there's actually an analogy there to the Passover, right? Just as the angel of death passed over, you know, uh, to taking the life of the firstborn, so in a similar sense, she put a scarlet cord on her window. The armies of Egypt passed over her and her family. So you see a similar faith uh, between her and the people of Israel. But it's interesting with all of these that we're only given two examples, particularly with Israel, of their faith. Because if you remember, the Exodus generation, not a good example. They, if you remember earlier on in the book of Hebrews, they're actually given as a people not to imitate. Okay? Don't imitate their faithlessness when they were wandering in the desert. Right? And the, the Exodus generation was, did not have sustained faith. They did not always trust the Lord. They were whiners. They were complainers. They often wanted to go back to Egypt. How on earth did they make it into the hall of faith? What are we to make of this? It seems as though, is the author reviewing Israel's history with rose-colored glasses, glossing over their many, many failures to try to make them look good? Let's be honest. He mentions people later on like Samson. Samson is in the hall of faith? Name one thing he did that was not self-serving, right? Even his prayer at the end is like, Lord, give me strength so I can get my revenge against these Philistines. Like, when is he ever like a great man of like hope and love and joy and peace? He's a man given to passions. Jephthah's in there. Gideon. How did some of these people make it into the hall of faith? I don't understand it. And honestly, if it was today, they'd all be canceled by now. Even David is being written off. It, maybe it reminds me, have you ever been to a funeral where, you know, where some, somebody passes away and they give what's called a eulogy, right, it, it, during that memorial service? It's literally a word that means speaking a good word or speaking a word of praise. Because rarely at anybody's funeral does somebody get up and say, this person was just terrible, right? And they just go through all their faults and failures. You, you don't do that at a funeral, you speak a good word because the idea is, is they're gone now and 
we do want to remember the positive aspect, aspects of their life, right? And they're not all bad most of the time. And so if nothing else, it's considered insensitive. It's considered rude, you know, harmful to the family and the memory of the deceased. Is that what's going on here? Is, is, is the author of Hebrews by the Holy Spirit just like saying, well, we're just going to ignore all that stuff? I don't think so. I think it's more than that. Think about your own life, Christian. I'm just going to suggest that you yourself are not a paragon of faith, and neither am I. You may have noticed, by the way, even the most holy saint in this room wrestles with the remaining corruption of sin, and you are always aware of it, are you not? Even on your best day, even when you have like an afternoon of great faith, there's always the evening. I feel like in the quiet moments of life, sometimes it's at the end of the day after all the kids are in in bed and I have a moment of quiet or on my car ride into work the next day and it's not even a long, it's like 10 minutes, right? That's when I'm like, oh, I screwed up. And we're very aware of our failures. We're aware of of the times when, you know, I'm aware of my own life when I failed as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, a friend, just a follower of Christ. Some of you wrestle because, you know, you're, as, as a parent, you're like, man, I, I imagined myself being a much better parent than I, than I actually am. I imagined my, my marriage would be a lot sweeter and, and tied together and, and God-centered. I imagined that we'd pray more together. I, I imagined that I'd be better at my job. I imagined that my life as a Christian would look different. Like, we can all do that, right? We have moments of great faith in our life we can look back at, but more often it seems like we have more moments of failure and weakness and foolishness and disobedience and selfishness and going back to bad habits we should have been done with we feel like a long time ago. Our lives and the Lord here on earth are just really kind of a mixed bag. Just like Abraham, just like Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and certainly Moses and David and all the rest. And I think this section gives us some hope Because when all is said and done, when you enter into your heavenly reward, hear me, you will not be known by your failures, but by your faith. And it's not because God is going to whitewash all of that. It's because it'll all be covered by the blood of Christ. And it'll go through the fire and all the wood, hay, and stubble will be burned up and all that will remain are the precious jewels of your faith and obedience in Christ. All that remains is the fine gold of your faith and the works done in faith. And so your, your story is not going to be whitewashed, but your record will be clear. And so take heart, Christian, because honestly, there's plenty more failures that we're going to have along the way. But that will not be the final word of your story. God will remember your faith, and that will be your heritage. He wraps up this section in verses 32 through 40. And the author or the preacher has been going chronologically through the Old Testament with examples of faith, and it's clear that he could keep going. He even says, you know, what more can I say, right? Have I said enough already? Have I given you enough examples of why you should be a person of faith, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't make sense, even when there's kingdoms and pharaohs who are standing against you, even when it's, you know, when you are weak, you know, have I said enough yet? 
the preacher says. He says, but, but even if that's not enough, I could keep on going. He says, I, you know, what about Samson? What about Jephthah? What about David? What about Daniel? What about Elijah? What about Solomon with all of their great failures, but also their great faith? By faith, they accomplished much. They accomplished amazing things, not by the strength of their arms or by their keen intellect or by their superior culture or their great technology, but by their faith they conquered kingdoms. They they enforced justice. They obtained promises. They stopped the mouths of lions. They quenched the power of fire. They escaped the Lord. It goes on and on. By faith is all the great accomplishments of the saints. And by the way, and, and that's the stuff that makes you want to have faith, right? He keeps on going like, yeah. I want that. I want to be a person of faith because stopping the mouths of lions, that just sounds cool. I want to do that. I want to, you know, conquer kingdoms. That's the stuff that, like, gets you excited to be a person of faith, right? I have just love the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal because it's just cool. It's just a good story. Go read it sometime. That's the stuff that's like, yeah, I want to be like that. It's the next section that, we, that makes us not want to be people of faith. Because while their faith accomplished much, they also suffered much. Mocking, imprisonment, torture, flogging, chains, stoned, sawn in two, uh, killed with the sword. They were poorly clothed, destitute, mistreated, afflicted, wandering the earth, homeless. You're like, oh. That's what's called the people of faith to be as well. To accomplish much by faith, but also willing to suffer much by faith doesn't seem like the best sales pitch if you're going to stir up faith, but then again, maybe it is. Because all the people who are experiencing all that suffering did so willingly because the one they had faith in was worth it. And I think this is important. Our our life group was talking about this just the other day, that sometimes when when I hear about faith talked about like in the culture, it's as though faith itself is the quality. I'm, I'm a person of faith. You know, just, just, just believe. Just have faith. Faith in what? Like, faith in and of itself is not the thing that is worthwhile. Because you can have faith in something empty or useless. I don't know about I've seen a lot of people in Shrewsbury New Freedom, like, walking around with crystals on their neck. You guys notice that? I don't know, like, a necklace is, they have, like, a rock, like a crystal. Some of you must have seen it. And I always want to ask about it, but I, I just never have yet. Maybe I need to. I'm like... What does that mean? Is that just like a is that just like a a symbol that you think is cool, or 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 like we? I'm wondering if our culture is kind of getting back into like some pagan symbols and just you know, is that something worth having faith in? Like I, I wonder if there's a spiritual element there. You know, what, what do people put your trust in that this crystal is going to bring good vibrations or good karma or good whatever? Like faith is not in and of itself a good thing. It's what do you have faith in? What are you putting your trust in? Is it worth living for? And better yet, is it worth getting sawn in two for? The preacher calls us to have faith in one who is worth putting your faith in. This is not a self-help book. This is not a good philosophy. There are plenty of really good books out there that will motivate you and help you. I've read some of them. But not many of them are worth getting on a boat and going across to a third world country and being willing to die for it. This is worth dying for. This is worth joyfully suffering for. 
People like Paul who, who, who are willing to give up their prestige and say, I rejoice in my chains because Christ is worthy and because there's a kingdom of glory coming and it's not this one. And so that's why he's able to name off all of these people who not only did great things but suffered great things. And Christian, you can do so as well with joy because the one you have faith in is worth trusting He's worth suffering for, and you will not regret it when it's all said and done. The Lord Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven, who destroyed the works of the devil, who died for sins, who rose in victory, who ascended in glory, he will come again and make his kingdom the only kingdom on earth, and you'll be glad you stood with him. God is able to, make, to do all the things mentioned earlier, and by their faith in him, all these people accomplished God's will. So faith, as the the scriptures tell us in Hebrews 1, is the assurance of things hoped for. It is the conviction of things not seen because faith is always looking further ahead. It's fixing our eyes on Christ, trusting in the promises of God, the goodness of God, that he will achieve his ends and they are good. Even when things look pleasant or painful around us. He wraps up by saying that the people of old received their commendation, their faith, but yet they hadn't fully received all the promises. They were waiting for God to fulfill these even greater promises, which even now we are receiving, but the best is still to come. So Christian, have faith. Have faith that conquers kingdoms, that stops the mouths of lions, that overcomes the darkness, but faith in one who is also worth suffering hardship for. Worship team, would you come up and lead us in a worship song? Congregation, I'm going to pray for us. Father God, you are worthy. God, you are worthy because you are holy. And you are God, and you are creator, and sovereign, and king. You are one who saves your people. God, you have great and precious promises. Lord, in the midst of all things that that we encounter in this world, Lord, though they are scary, though they are frustrating, we can look to you and have peace now and forever. God, I, 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 I know all of us in here wrestle, God, because we don't have the obedience that we desire we don't have the faith that we need, God. And I, I'm so thankful that Jesus calls us, even if we have the faith of a mustard seed, Lord, a weak, small, tiny faith can grasp the hand of a strong Savior and do great and wondrous things. God, thank you that you are patient with us. But God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would stir within us those in this congregation who need great faith right now, who are going through the fiery trial, through the dark season. Lord, or have some great work that you have for them, would you stir us to trust in you and accomplish your wonders and accomplish your will? God, like Moses, give us a vision for you. God, like Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, Lord, help us to see the promises and trust them so much that we want to live for them even to our dying days and pass them on to the next generation. Lord, like the people of Israel, like Rahab, let us not be known for our failures but for our faith. And like all the others, God, let us be part of that cloud of witnesses that testifies that Christ Jesus is Lord and worthy. Help us, Lord, in Jesus' name.
Amen.